This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome to this episode of Vulnerable, where I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Courtney Tracy. Uh, She's also known as the Truth Doctor Online, and that's how we connected. She's a USC-trained licensed psychotherapist and doctor of clinical psychology in California. She's also a multi-award winning mental health content creator. I'm one of her clients, I guess. (laughs) Um, Known as Truth Doctor with a global online community of over 2 million people. She specializes in creator mental health. Uh, borderline personality, substance use, and trauma, and has over 10 years of direct clinical experience. And she's currently working on her debut nonfiction book titled Your Unconscious is Showing. (laughs) And she hosts a hit YouTube show called The Truth Doctor Show. And she hosts her own podcast called Human First with Dr. Courtney, where she gets real with her listeners about what it's like to be a therapist with mental health disorders. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Vulnerable. Thank you. I couldn't think of a better (laughs) pod other than yours for us to chat. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) I feel like, you know, these parasocial relationships never, they never let me down. Yes, I agree. (laughs) Right. Because especially relationships where you meet on TikTok, because people are just vulnerable, mm-hmm. authentic, and they're like, I don't give a fuck what people think about me, but mm-hmm. then you find the right people mm-hmm. or the right people find you. Isn't that fascinating? Because I mean, like here it is this algorithm that's uh, at one point or another, it's always like recalled into people's minds as being problematic or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it was fascinating to see all of us kind of have that conversation a few months back when they were like, is it going to go away again? Right. Like every like <laughs> six months to a year, I feel like there's the the question of is TikTok and, and 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 it's always palpable to see the the the, the panic in creators, yeah. right? Because they're like, if this goes away, not only do I lose some income, but I but I also lose my my community, yeah, or identity or purpose. And a lot of people fuel their creativity into what it is that they create, right? And so to lose a platform where you're showing your authentic self, perhaps for the first time is not only overwhelming when you think about losing income, but overwhelming when you think about how can I actually continue to show up as me if this is the only place I felt safe to do so. 
So do you have um, clients who are content creators come to you directly? I do. So I have um, agents, managers reach out to me. Usually it's when content creators are sort of at the height or like the they're reaching their way to the news articles that they don't have to pay for mm. and the podcast interviews and the TV shows, et cetera, in a very new way. Like content creators, influencers, this is so new from like typical Hollywood celebrity. Mm -hmm. The fame can happen so much faster. You can lose it so much faster. Yeah. And it they don't know what to do. You know, this isn't an industry for a lot of people where they started young. Maybe they popped on when they were in their early 20s on TikTok and now they're blowing up everywhere and they, they have no idea how to handle it. Their nervous system, the amount of eyes on them, judgments on them. You know, I would love to hear what you think about the difference between, you know, being a child star and sort of not necessarily in a healthy way, but having your nervous system get used to this over time versus someone that might be thrown into it kind of feeling fresh, but already being an adult. Am I a narcissist if I like that you asked me a question on my own pod so that I could answer it? <laughs> no, you're okay, not. Okay, good. <laughs> I was it's just like, let's take pulling a quiz. the therapist card here. I did, and I did say, I did, I did warn <laughs> doctor here. I did. I said, hey, um, Dr. Courtney, can I, can I please ask you if I'm ADD? Can we talk about it on the pod? So stay tuned for that. Um, it's spoiler. I know I probably am. <laughs> um, okay. So, and now bouncing back, um, yeah. and maybe I deflected that because, you know, I talk a lot about it, but I, I reflect a lot about it. Vulnerable has become sort of my therapeutic space. Eve Rodsky was on, um, she's the author of Fair Play. Mm -hmm. She's really lovely. Uh, and she was like, Christy, no matter what you do, you have to keep doing vulnerable because it's your unicorn space. Yeah. And it struck me and has motivated me at times where I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. The coordination efforts are really difficult and um, it's just hard, right? You know, as a yeah. content creator, it's a lot of time. And um, so I, I but I, I, I call back to that and it, it does hearken the times where I've had a lot of fight or flight in my life. Yeah because of the conventional Hollywood model of casting and rejection mm -hmm. and um, also the high high of being acknowledged for your work, um, which, you know, your work is subjectively better than the next person's. It's not like mm. your efforts of being on set for 12 hours a day are any different from anyone else's as long as you're not a jerk to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's a very it's a very streamlined type of profession, if that makes any sense. Other than stunt work, you know, I think stunt work and some other things that you have to do, like love scenes and stuff, mm. can get way more complicated for for you as the individual, yeah, as the actor. So I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is is that there is a lot of similarities between the high highs and the low lows. Yeah, like I'm definitely addicted. Hmm. to the viralness. Yeah. Like even right now, I'm like, there's a piece of me that knows that I posted something about two hours ago and I'm like pining that it's going to perform. And like, I'm, yeah. I'm checking in with myself to be like, gosh, I wonder if it's, you know, you know, when I launch my app one more time, if it's going to be in the more thousands. Right. Um, it, it's, it is, it's tricky, isn't it? And it's more of like, it's that immediate gratification versus filming something, it comes out months later, a year later, you can post it and then you're instantly 
looking for that immediate external feedback. Hmm, and that, that is something that is really overwhelming for the brain and it's nonstop because once you post that piece of content, you can go back to it forever if you don't delete it. You can constantly look to see if it's going up in views, what the comments are saying. And the algorithm wants you to do that. Like those notifications that you get and it's like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> like it's excessive and it really burns people out mm -hmm. really fast. There was that movie, was it called, is it The Social Dilemma? I think the Facebook. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it will. And, and it was The Social Dilemma about uh, how the algorithm wants to keep you on as long as possible because that kind of helps everybody either for data yeah. or for money and right. sponsorship dollars for them and ads and stuff like that. And yeah. that's just kind of such, I think if there is young content creators out there, they should watch that first. Oh yeah. Because Absolutely. I privatized my child's, I had, I had, I'd wanted my kids to have, like it was like when everyone was getting dot coms, <laughs> you know, and like everybody was trying to make sure that their kid had their name on yeah. Instagram before right. it was taken. And so for me, I was like, okay, well I agreed to it with my husband. I was like, yeah, sure we can have them and we can post some cute things, but it wasn't like, it wasn't monetized in mm -hmm. any way, shape or form. And then after watching that, I was like, privatize them right away. Yeah. Like immediately. I was like, we are privatizing these kids accounts and that's that. And yeah, you need to. Okay. I think it's important. Okay. Especially like even, I have to give these tips to adults. You know what I mean? And like about monitoring your social media, whether or not you're a creator, like it's just important. The main tip that I give to people when it comes to social media algorithms is that the algorithm doesn't know why you're looking at a piece of content. It only knows how long you're looking at it. So you could be looking at a piece of content that's making you feel like complete shit. And the algorithm is just gonna think, oh, you watched that three times. I'm gonna show you another video just like that. But it just makes you feel more like shit. And so it's not, it's not your friend. It can be if you're your own friend and Ooh. if you know when to swipe and you know how to curate your own feed. But if you don't, you are at the whim of a robot who wants nothing more than to keep you on there no matter how it makes you feel. And it doesn't know how it makes you feel. You teach it. People just don't realize that you teach your algorithm what you see and you can do that consciously or unconsciously. It is like, it, that's why they say that comment, it's an algorithm, Bob, or something, because it's like, <laughs> you're the one that's kind of showing up in that. It's like a mirror to you. It is. To your subconscious, and, you think? Or what is it a mirror to? I mean, I think it can be, but it can also fuel your subconscious. Like, if there's a part of you that you don't like, but that you didn't even know you didn't like, then you can find that one video that makes you feel bad, but you watch it because your brain is like, trying to figure out like what, like what is it about this piece of content? I feel something and then it will just show you more. Mm -hmm. So it can bring out the negative in you or it can grow the negative in you. It can do the opposite too, but a lot of the time when people are online, they're, you know, it used to be like looking for entertainment and sometimes it is, but it's also to distract, to numb, hmm. to get reassurance that you're not the only one feeling something negative and, and so, it's just not the best machine yet. It doesn't learn um, in a helpful way. Yeah. Yet. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. 
Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. It's like AI. It's like what we're dealing with right now in, in Hollywood. It's like AI is never going to be human. Right. It's inherently not human. Right. Um... Wonderful. So then when you approach your content creation, you're so aware of everything. How do you how do you cir- circle in to what it is you actually want to be known for in the algorithm? That's a great question because I started my platform in the beginning of 2020, blew up to millions like right away and sold my treatment center that was in Santa Barbara that I had made on my own for four years. Did you sell it based on the fact that you were- I did. Was it the creator fund or just sponsorships and stuff like that? It was that I was a really traumatized human being when I made this treatment center and through being able to be vulnerable and authentic online, I realized that I wasn't that same person anymore. And I didn't want to be in that environment anymore that brought out the worst parts in me. And so TikTok allowed me to find myself in the same way that my TikTok allowed people to find themselves. So I sold it. And it's actually been a struggle the last two years because I've been publicly trying to figure out what healed Dr. Courtney looks like in front of all these people, which is a very interesting thing to do as a therapist. I bet. (laughs) I know how that feels because people that your brand is chaos. And so it's like they, 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 if they're not seeing that, how do they, how do they see you then? Yeah. I feel like I I started following you in 2020. I've been following you for a long time, for years, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I've seen your content for years. I just followed you actually on Instagram yeah. because I'm starting to follow more of my TikTok friends on Instagram too. Cause I'm like, we are friends at this yeah. point. Like we've communicated, <laughs> we've all supported each other and, and, and we need to know each other m- more intimately. I feel like there's definitely less of a wall in getting to know and network to some degree with folks that you're either intrigued by, um, sort of just inspired by, yeah. um, you like, you know, <laughs> Then, then there would be somebody who's like a another fellow actor or something like that. Like sometimes they have that wall up, and it's yeah. like you just can't get through to them um, for one reason or another. Either it's competitive, or mm-hmm. they're just in their own way too. So yeah. I, I, I have found that like I'm able to have a lot more friendships with content creators, and mm-hmm. I feel more seen by them. So like I've become more familiar with identifying as a content creator yeah. than I have with all the years and decades of being like an actor or something like that's not important to me anymore. Yeah. Weird. I get that on my end in my profession as like a therapist too. I get it. It's just like being able to show up more authentically, have more real connections with people. Mm -hmm. I mean, boundaries and ethics are important when it comes to therapy, but for me to be able to show up the way I've shown up as a content creator is, has been so life changing when it comes to making connections with human beings that are online, whether they're just absorbing the content or they're content creators themselves versus like having to have that wall up with another person in the therapy room. They get to see me, I get to see them in real life on TikTok, but in the therapy room, it's like, I'm the professional. Right. And you're the client. The wall. The wall, yeah. So the same, it's like the same wall where you feel a barrier between your colleagues, I can feel the barrier between my clients. So like this space gives just people in general a way to, be their authentic, vulnerable selves in a way that they might not have been able to in any other space in their life. 
Yeah, I, I feel like there's probably a lot of therapists out there that struggle with that same thing of like, I really, I want to show up because that must be very lonely and isolating for them. It is. It's really strange that you're taught in school becoming a therapist to basically be non-existent in the room. Most therapists aren't actually like that. We just don't say it publicly. Well, we do now. Now that the pandemic happened, we're like, dude, I was doing sessions with like my underwear on because I was on Zoom, you know, like just underwear, <laughs> like with my clients because we were freaking know. out, you they know, because we were freaking like, we were out freaking out in the middle we of the pandemic, like that. couldn't even put our pants I on. I lost my mind, but you can talk to me. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, that was the reality yeah. for a lot of therapists back then, for sure. Really? They were like masking? Oh, my God. Yeah. Until yeah. the mask fell. I mean, I would say the first 10 really big TikTok therapists were all therapists that were open about having a mental health difficulty. Addiction, grief, eating disorders, depression, suicidality. And I think that's why our audiences flocked to us because we were able to say and show that the professionals that are trying to help you with these things aren't almighty. We aren't like totally healed people that you must strive to become. We just haven't been really given permission to say like, we're just as fucked up as you are because the human condition is difficult. And here's what we've used to get by in our lives that we think can help you too. And of course, what we've learned in school, but. So what do you get from being a therapist? Like, do, do you enjoy it? What, what, it, what about it gives you life? <laughs> That's a good question. Cause not everybody can, not everybody would want to do that. Yeah. I think it does two things. One is sometimes I have a lot of difficulty solving my own shit. And to be able to help other people solve the same shit that I might be dealing with is a really beautiful thing because in general, it reduces the problem in the world. Like if I'm struggling with anxiety and I'm overwhelmed and I you know, don't wanna do my podcast or my show or yeah. you know, hang out with my toddler today because he's too loud and everything feels overwhelming, I can exit my life, enter into a session with a client who's potentially going through anxiety as well and help them through their experience. It tells me that I can do the same in my own life. It reassures me that these problems are solvable. And it, it tells me that I'm a helpful human being even in moments where I feel like I can't even help myself. So you show up. Yeah, you show up and then, and then you show up for yourself, but you're also like linking with another human being that's like empathy. Yeah, exactly. And then I think the second thing really is, is people can lose hope really quickly. You know, this book that I am writing, Your Unconscious is Showing, one of the major lessons in it is that, you know, when you think about depression or suicidality, people think like, oh, you're weak, or you should have stopped feeling this way before it got this bad, or just like change your life. What's so difficult about it? Mm -hmm. And the brain will find helplessness like it's a default it's an unconscious mechanism that Why? will happen if the circumstances play out right internally and externally because the brain wants to do the least amount or the brain wants to expend the least amount of energy possible like no matter what and so it will turn to helplessness if it thinks there's really nothing more you can do so the more that people hear that, the more that people think that, the more that their environment tells them that, it's something that will happen. It's not something that might happen. It's something that will happen unless there are opposition, unless there's opposition to it, unless there are support factors and resilience factors and people saying that they can get better. And so that's really overwhelming 
that when people feel depressed or suicidal, that they think, what is wrong with me? And it's actually not what's wrong with you. Your brain's working the way it's supposed to. You're not, you're not broken. Yeah, you're not broken. Mm -hmm. It's just that everything around you is reinforcing this idea to your brain that it is helpless and there is nothing more to do. So what do you do? How can you fix that? Do you just like go eat, pray, love? Like, is that, <laughs> like I'm just going to go. It's like, especially folks that really do have the, you know, I, I have a friend, uh, a fellow Podco employee who's, uh, she has BPD, mm -hmm. you know, and she talks about so it. Do I. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would love for you guys to connect. <laughs> you have to connect with Lindsay Shaw. I would love to. Okay. Um, and, and, it, and it's wild to hear like how she's been handling it, mm -hmm. you know, in the wake of being a child actor too, nonetheless, yeah. because you're so dissociative and you're so confused about who you are. Right. That like exacerbating that even more so gives, mm -hmm. I've always had a lot of compassion for what she's been going through yeah. in that regard. Um, and wow. Okay. So I didn't let you answer. Please answer. Oh, I'm working the, on my listening skills, Dr. Gray. <laughs> so do you eat, pray, love to fix, oh. fix being stuck in the rut? Like, how do you, how do you fix yourself if you're not broken, yeah. but you're suicidal? Like Angus Cloud, you know, I, I don't know. We don't know exactly. Do you know what happened? Was it? I think, I mean, I heard the 911 call that came it? from his mother that she thought that he had overdosed and there was no pulse mm. and but that he was really having a difficult time with the loss of his father and okay. so i think the in, the intentionality is unknown okay but the deep deep disconnectedness from the world like that could be seen you know mm -hmm. like even in like red carpet videos you know i remember seeing those of angus and and i said to my husband cuz i uh, i'm a, a specialist in addiction that was my treatment center and that's that's what I'm trained in. And I was like, this isn't good. Like, I, I, I want to tell you, good. I will see child actors. I will see them on the red carpet or I will see them and I will see something in their eyes that feels familiar or I'll see it a mile away. And it is so hard as a person who's on the other side of that to yeah. not speak up and to not want to reach out to those people. Yeah. Um, it's re it is really hard to see that, isn't it? Yeah, it's so hard. Yeah. It was devastating news. And you know, the first thing that I think is important for people to know that feel depressed or suicidal and feel like it's something to do with their inability to get over it or get better, like psychoeducation is so important. Like for someone to know that this is a natural brain mechanism, it isn't something that's just like broken in them that not everyone has is such a helpful piece of information, even if it doesn't feel like it right away, because you're just being human. Like, yeah, your life has been so difficult and you feel so shitty and all of that is true. But what isn't true is that this is just you with a broken brain. Mm -hmm. Like that's not true. It's that we can take parts of our internal experience and our external experience and tell the brain, this is not the fucking path that we're gonna take right now. Like we aren't helpless. And that's part of what therapy can do is it teaches people that they're not helpless even though their brain thinks that they are a lot of people don't like therapy yeah what do you what do you make of that i mean i fucking don't like therapy most of the time <laughs> because most therapists like the way that we're trained is just brutal it's like they train you to not be a human and so it can feel so inauthentic in the room and I think it's really changed over the last three or four years. Like I honestly believe that TikTok therapists like shifted the therapy profession significantly. And I've heard that from professional associations. Like I was supposed to be at Harvard tomorrow 
um, but I'm not because I'm six months pregnant, but to talk to their public health department about how like things have shifted in terms of how therapists connect with other people using social media. So like things are changing, but it just used to be dry and it used to feel very hierarchical. Clinical. So clinical. Yeah. And it's just, it's like people don't need that. Like the, if they want to learn about like the symptoms of anxiety, honestly, at this point, you can go on TikTok. Like what people need is someone that's sitting in front of them treating them like a human being, acting like a human being, and letting them know that they're not alone. And not just by using words to say that, but by actually letting the person feel like that is the fucking truth. Mm -hmm. And that's why I call myself the truth doctor, because mm -hmm. the truth is we are all experiencing the human condition and no one is better than anyone else. And life is a fucking struggle. And you need to hear somebody say that that's helping you. Yeah, it's like when we talk to our kids and we're like, you have big feelings right now. Yeah. Like, Let's try to figure that out. It's, I will tell you, it's gentle parenting is so hard. Oh my God, so hard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so, so glad difficult. you said that. Yeah, it's really difficult <laughs> oh, because sorry. we are trying to even be more gentle on our kids than we are on ourselves. That's so true. Oh girl, thank you. <laughs> I feel so good that you said that. I, it's really hard. Like my husband had to have a talk with me. He's very good. I mean, he's getting better at self-regulation, but he's he's beyond I that me, you know. And like <laughs> he'll he'll call me, and we balance each other really well in this. We're like reparenting each other, I would say. Yeah. In this, in some ways of our relationship, mm -hmm. and um and so like I I was with my girls, and I and I wanted to be heard. And a lot of times, like, I feel like they don't listen, you know, and mm -hmm. I'm very tired. And, yeah. and so I have to take this, like, stern, almost, like, masculine tone with them. And my husband's like, and then my girls are like, you're, you're mean. You're, mm -hmm. you're sounding mean. And I'm like, guys, if, if you don't listen to me, like, I have to be like this. And I, I don't know what else to do. And he told me, he's like, you don't have to be like that. You have to just be sort of non, mm -hmm. you have to be the parent. You have to be the adult in the room. Yeah. You know, and like you're dysregulated when you were raised in like a crazy chaotic Italian household like yeah. where like the love language was like yelling. Yeah. So it's just kind of like you don't you don't it's so hard. You feel so helpless when you're trying to break those generational. Well, and you're holding the door closed. Like you're holding in your own experiences of childhood difficulty. Oh, yeah. Like you're holding the door shut so your children don't have to experience it but you're experiencing it in that active moment also. And so it's so overwhelming for you or for any parent, like the kids, they don't see it. And that's intentional, but, but it makes you have to look at what you're hiding from them every time you hide them from it. And that's hard. Yes, yes. Are kids okay right now? Or are they, are they at risk right now? Like I think that they're at risk. And I think that we've been, I think the younger generations have been getting more at risk. And, and you know, a lot, like so much of the media is that it's social media that's doing it. But realistically, it's just the availability of information and truth. Like it used to be family secrets stayed in the family. Like that was it. And now, even if you don't have anybody to talk to about your family stuff in your real life, you can go online and find thousands, millions of other teenagers that are going through the same thing as you. It makes it easier for you to not forget about your problems. What I really, really am encouraged by is your way of seeing this, this brain, this broken brain. Is this what your book is about? It is. Fantastic, because yeah. I'm going to read it. <laughs> yeah. You all should get it too. Yeah, it's about how, like, there's just a lot more going on for us than just our subconscious, than just our past childhood trauma, just the stories that we tell ourselves. Our brain works automatically. 
Like in the same way where we can learn helplessness automatically if we don't do things to prevent it. Our body works automatically in many ways. Like we've been breathing, our heart's been beating this entire time as we're having this conversation, but we can take our consciousness and focus in on it and then have control over it. But the moment we start focusing on something else, our body's still doing its thing. Mm -hmm. It's always doing its thing. And we really don't realize that. When someone like gets angry in public, for example, we think, oh, maybe they had a bad relationship with their dad or something like that. It's not like, oh, their brain is wired to act like this. Their body is overwhelmed in this moment. There are so many unconscious parts of us that influence who we are as people. But when we actually try to think about it, we just go, oh, it must have just been my childhood. Ah, uh, yeah. You there's know? a lot of that, right? Where yeah. There's a lot of like, I feel like misdiagnosing, which is why people I think want to discredit what it is you're offering right. on your on your social presence in general. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, okay. So what I, what I really am encouraged by though, is when you're saying that, like for example, if your algorithm is a mirror to yourself, mm -hmm. you can train yourself to surround to interact with positive things, which is, right. I do, I do, I, you know, toxic positivity has been something like that. I think as millennials, we were the secret oh, and yeah. manifestation. <laughs> and like, for me, that got me into a really bad chapter of my life with magical thinking. Yeah. Because I was like, well, if I just, it almost like OCD really, mm. because it was like, well, if I just do everything this way and exactly this way and superstitious, and then I'll get, I'll get a call back. Yeah. You know, and then, oh, if I go to the psychic and like they, they tell me these things, then it must yeah. be true. So this magical thinking, I think, was the way that people were like the 1.0 version. Mm -hmm. That was like that was like, you know, therapy without community. Yeah. Was us trying to look inside and be like, well, if I just wish it away. Right. And if I'm just positive and give myself these mantras. It's very like an individualistic aspect of healing. And it's like we don't even develop mental health disorders individually. Like our environment influences us, the people around us influence us. We can't just manifest our way to the best life because we don't live in a solitary life. Well, and boomers are like, oh, you guys have no grit. Like, why are you blaming me? Mm -hmm. Like, how should people interact with that if they're millennials like us and they're like, they're healing, they're on their journey to healing and they've got children who they're not trying to pass the trauma down to, yeah. but yet they still have like an older generation that they have to contend with. I mean, it gets difficult. It's very easy to say like that the older generations aren't as knowledgeable as they should be about mental health. And they're kind of like, you know, looking at it in a negative way. Like, why is this such a big deal mm -hmm. to you? Um, and one way I've sort of tried to look at it positively, at least, is that the older generations, they did do a lot for us, mm -hmm. you know, more so societally, not as much as could have been done because we know how the world still works. But there was a lot done when it came to women's rights, when it came to ethnicity rights, mm -hmm. race rights. Um, and of, of course, I want to say again, there's so much more work to do, but it's created a space for us to be able to now talk about mental health. Like now we can talk about it as the primary issue in society. We can have the U.S. Surgeon General saying loneliness is a public health crisis. Well, and the Surgeon General also said that social media is not suggested to kids until they're 15. Yeah. Was and it 15 or I, what was it? I'm not sure, but okay. I agree. You do. Okay. So I, I was going to ask you how, what, what's your plan? What's our plan? What are we <sighs> doing? <laughs> you know, it's hard because every child is individual. Every mm -hmm. child is different. And so it depends on 
your child's brain and the way that you, your child, like the environment that they're raised in and how many peer connections they have and what really interests them and what's the balance between using social media and finding hobbies that make them feel like a human being on planet Earth, you know? Right, like, like camping and yeah. being in nature. Yeah, I think is really like fantastic. organic hobbies versus just staring at a phone. Mm -hmm. So it depends, you know, but someone like a teenager or a child that has you know, a difficult upbringing or... Or is neurodivergent. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's like, it's just the vulnerability is really there. And so it, you have to know your child. And that, and I have to say that can be really hard for parents who don't have time. They're just mm -hmm. trying to make ends meet. And the iPad <sighs> becomes a way for their child to have some type of entertainment or education. And the iPad turns into social media. And, and so it's just, it's a really hard time because the generations have been getting more psychologically unstable because of the access to information. I think sharing information, difficult information, knowing about all the mass shootings and the pandemic and the nervous system is dysregulated in like an entire generation of people mm. at this point. Yeah, I mean, the, the information will not stop. It, it will, won't stop. It's only gonna get it's so more accessible. So we kind of have to look into being like, not not superhuman, but like being able to regulate ourselves. We have to like beef up our mental health. Oh yeah, um, understanding. Okay, yeah. that's what we can give to our kids. Yeah, that's the most important thing, you okay. know. It, and and making like building trust with that within them, like within your relationship with them. Like social media can be a scary place. It can ruin your mental health. Predators can find children. And how open are your children to talking to you about these things? about what their experiences are like. It's like true. relationships, there's like a study done on, like the longest study done on what makes human beings feel happy and live longest in its relationships. And so what is your relationship like with your children? That's far more important than how much time they're spending on social media. So if they could be, they could be gamers and yeah. spend all, but be very passionate about gaming, mm -hmm but you know, they still have a great relationship with you. Yeah. So it's like, I think that what they call that is a, a secure a secure bond. Yeah, or a secure, secure relationship, relationship, secure attachment. Secure attachment. Yeah. Uh, okay, so speaking about minds too, because I love that we just, we got into so many great things. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But like, uh, I did want you to tell me if I have ADD. <laughs> well, how do I, everyone talks about ADHD. ADHD content is huge. It is. There's a lot of ads for like medicines mm -hmm. for ADHD. Um, you know, I, I think I took Adderall one time and I think I peed my pants because I was just like, it was like not the right dosage. And yeah. I think my sister gave it to me and she's like highly medicated. So I just, I had a bad experience with that. And so I'm very scared but at the same time, I'm very, I'm very exhausted. I'm very not focused. Like there's a lot of things that really just, and you said you just recently got diagnosed. Yes. I was diagnosed in November of last year after huh. nine years of clinical education. I still didn't know. And I was also diagnosed with autism in February. Okay. That's a big, that's some big news. It right? is really big news. And it makes a lot of sense. The comorbidity, or I guess I should say the co-occurrence of ADHD and autism is relatively high mm. and so is having borderline personality disorder and finding out you're neurodivergent later in life. I was diagnosed with borderline 10 years ago and just now found out that my neurodivergency was the primary cause of my borderline. I was so dysregulated, so detached from my reality and no one in my family or my friend group for the first third, 
three decades of my life knew I was neurodivergent. So I developed these unhealthy coping skills and this inability to have healthy relationships and suicidality and Mm -hmm. stress paranoia. And that was all a, a personality development because of my detachment from my environment, because of how overwhelmed I was inside with no relief. Okay, so the more that you got to know your diagnoses, then mm-hmm. the more you got to know your brain, essentially. Yes, and then exactly. you're like, this is not broken. This exactly. is just who I am. Yeah. I think there's so much shame with every new diagnosis, too, like at least societally. It's like even now, it's like, you know, one of my daughters could be, you know, like I don't know. We, we you know, we were, yeah. we were thinking of doing OT with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, you know, that was before she started to like, self-regulate in, in kindergarten and, and yeah. things sort of worked themselves out to some degree. Um, but as a parent, you're like, oh, or do we have to go down that road? Like, are we really those parents now? There's like such, there's like not really as much, and that's not good with what you were just talking about, because what we should be doing is sort of giving them the, the keys mm-hmm. to understanding foundational, um, I guess, mental health Yeah. Well, even when, okay, so when you're asking the question, like, do I have ADD? Do I have ADHD? There was a study that just came out and this can relate to to children and not sort of like, like wanting to understand how their brain works and wanting to know if they're neurodivergent or not. There's a new subtype that they've found of depression called the cognitive biotype, which presents with really similar symptoms as someone that has an attention deficit disorder difficulty concentrating, difficulty staying on task, being overwhelmed with they don't have a routine and so on. And that's just a subtype of depression. And so I think, you know, whenever people come to me and they say, I'm having all these attention difficulties, all these concentration difficulties, and they automatically think that it must be ADD or ADHD. But there are so many ways that the brain can have these deficits or have these dysfunctions. It doesn't necessarily have to be ADHD. Even what you're just describing to me it's clear that you can that you sense difficulty with attention and concentration, mm-hmm. maybe overstimulation, as an example, um, and that doesn't have to mean ADHD. All like the most important thing as an individual versus a clinician is for you to just know what your symptoms are. Hmm. Like that's the most important thing because if you're having difficulty with attention, let's work on attention. Right. It's not I need the label in order to work on my intention difficulties, but that's part of what I think is so difficult with TikTok therapy is all of the symptoms are categorized and labeled. They have and to so, be for the algorithm. Yeah, right, exactly. Because like ADHD content is and, like a hashtag that's probably got millions and millions. Of oh, so many. <laughs> yeah. And clinicians, of course, we want to be using the categorizations that have been created in our field and sharing that with people. But people get really- You're qualified to do that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But people get really wound up in needing the label. Mm -hmm. And it is important to have the label when it comes to what type of treatment or what type of medication. But fundamentally, it's how am I functioning? What am I feeling? And let's just look at those things. Is journaling helpful? Journaling can be helpful. Okay. But it depends on if you're using it intentionally to be helpful. So it has to be like guided. It doesn't necessarily have to be guided, but you have to be using it in a positive way. Like for example, just like scribbling out your worst and most negative thoughts every night and then like getting pissed off and throwing your journal and like keeping all of that in your body still, like that would not be helpful journaling. (laughs) You would just be pissing yourself off every night before you go to bed. I love that. But sometimes you you can use journaling, like for example, as a way where you just simply like, you can, you get in a physiological space where you're calm enough to write about 
how you're feeling negatively. And then you go and you look back at that like two days later, the one thing that you'll learn is I'm not feeling that exact way anymore. I felt like that feeling was gonna last forever. And now I'm two days past that feeling, reading it on a piece of paper, and you're able to see yourself sort of detached from it. That's one way that it can be really helpful. Interesting. Another way is our brain can get in thought loops where it's like, if it's in your head, then you have to keep it in your head because your brain thinks it's important. So you're like, this idea I must remember, or this problem I must remember because I care about it or I'm responsible for it. And so because it's not written down, it's like you have to keep making it conscious uh -huh, yes. over and over and over again mm -hmm. so that it's real, mm -hmm. so that you can prove to yourself that it's important. Mm -hmm. And if you write it down or put it on a sticky note, like it allows you to alleviate that brain process, makes your body feel better, and you can see it as something that's not you. Maybe you don't identify with it anymore because it's a sentence written on a piece of paper and not the main theme song of your life in your brain. Right. I love that. I love that. I mean, honestly, I wish I would have had <laughs> you as a therapist like many, many moons ago. Thanks. But like, I don't. Is there anything that you would have done differently in your in your career as a, a therapist or as a you know your as a doctor? Yeah, I think I would have given a shit less a lot sooner. I would have given less shit a lot sooner. Yeah. Um, Zero fucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, do you know, you have to be the age along with I'm me. I'm 39. Okay. So honey badger, do you remember when oh, that was a thing? Honey badger okay. don't care. Yeah. Honey badgers don't give a fuck. <laughs> like that was my thing on Facebook is Courtney honey badger. I love like, that. Like all throughout college. And I truly like <laughs> lived my life as though I didn't give a fuck. Yeah. But then when I became a therapist initially, I was so scared to be me and show up authentically in the room. You were masking like, if you're- I was. Right, if you're, if you're neurodivergent. Yeah, and you, it's still, it's already hard for me to do one-on-one -on -one sessions with people. It's very difficult because I just absorb so much of their existence very easily and like have a hard time. It's difficult. I'm sure. Um, but I, I really, I felt like, especially with the BPD, that my identity now had to be this cardigan wearing totally stable therapist that people expected in the room. Yeah. And after I went through something really difficult in the beginning of 2019, three months after my first child was born, I had owned my treatment center for mental health and substance use. I was over drinking, I had PTSD symptoms. I was the founder and CEO of one of the best treatment centers in Santa Barbara, California. And I was falling apart falling apart, taking trips to Vegas, leaving my baby. Oh. Like I was a disaster five years ago, four years ago. Um, and I realized, and that's when I made the Truth Doctor account. Mm. And I said, listen, I'm a therapist. And just because you have education and you're supposed to know everything, it doesn't mean you're gonna be okay. And it's okay to not be okay. And that's my truth. Yeah. And so I just wish I did that sooner because I think I could have helped more of my clients by being more authentic in the room in the mean? room mm -hmm. yeah like well I guess they say the future the the past is dead yeah so I mean I love this this makes me so happy you are the kind of woman that I resonate with so much um uh, as a as a past messy mm -hmm. now mom thanks yeah <laughs> who doesn't want to wear just cardigans every now and yeah. then a cardigan's kind of fun yeah it can be yeah like if it, it's not required if it's not required <laughs> you know and underneath it I got something a little different on yeah you know, a little edgy <laughs> yeah right. I, I'm a hybrid I'm a hybrid of yeah. being a mess and also put together so I love yeah. it you're my people yeah I feel the same <laughs> and that's okay too and honestly I think a lot more people are messy and put together 
but they don't show it. And sometimes people feel so messy that they feel like they can't even show the put together parts of themselves because they don't deserve to, or that must not be the real They're gonna let people them. down. Yeah. That's wild. Or yeah. the opposite. It's like yeah. just finding that balance. I love that. Know? I love your content. I love everything you're doing. I'm so excited about your book. Thank and you. Thank you for taking the time while being six months pregnant. Of course. Mazel <laughs> and um, get some rest. She came in here, I was like, you need a seat. You need some water. <laughs> I can't help but be like Italian mom. Um, but no, for real, it was, it was lovely to connect with you yeah, in was. person. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Let's stay in touch and people, you can find her obviously like, do you want to t say your handles? Sure. So yeah. TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at the period truth period doctor, and then the truth doctor.com for everything else. And your pod and the podcast human first with Dr. Courtney. So if you want to hear about me, get really fucking real about ADHD, autism, borderline substance use anger issues oh girl, I'm you can find me there <laughs> you can find me there and my husband's there too which is Aww. really nice to talk about parenting relationships I mean we've been together for 18 years so he's seen the whole mental health journey from me passing out doing meth underneath cars at 15 <laughs> behind <laughs> being every, a therapist <laughs> behind every healed crazy club rat millennial <laughs> girl is like is like a, a a stoic man no for real right seriously like my husband was like a marine has seen some shit like and he is now like i'm gonna be a stoic and it's my karma because i was a, a dog to have two daughters that are absolutely gorgeous and like this is my life okay yeah. so he's back to being this like stoic dude and like and like, I feel that for him. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I love you. I love you too. And let's, uh, let's keep it going. Let's still uh, talk and, yeah. um, and please go follow her. Thank you. Dr. Courtney. <laughs> Thanks so much for watching this episode of the Vulnerable Podcast. To check out clips from the pod, check out the Vulnerable Podcast Clips channel and the YouTube link is in the description. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.